Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the state has given county fairs the yellow light to proceed with caution. Hancock County Fair Board President Jeff Cole discusses planning for this year's event after the major change in leadership announced earlier this week. Also this morning, another fraternity initiation has turned tragic, this time at BGSU. What will it take to finally end the problem of hazing on college campuses? our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning, Growing Closer to God When We're Further Apart. A free new app creates the world's largest virtual Bible study group. And happening around town, the Children's Mentoring Connection has reimagined their popular Bowling for Kids fundraiser. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast calling for mostly cloudy and windy conditions today with a high near 68. Cloudy and windy again tonight with a low 54. Hancock Public Health is reminding people that they have Narcan kits available for the public. Narcan is a medication designed to rapidly reverse an opioid overdose. It looks pretty clear to us that the more Narcan kits we get out there in the hands of folks who may potentially overdose, the less fatal overdoses we're going to have. The agency's Gary Bright is making the reminder after police in Faustoria say a batch of heroin laced with fentanyl caused three fatal overdoses recently. Get more on our website. The Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation awarded more than $870,000 in grants at its latest board meeting. Among the grants, Hancock Public Health was awarded $150,000 to support the launch of its mobile health clinic, and Habitat for Humanity was awarded $85,000 to assist with hiring personnel. Also, Findlay Hope House was awarded $1,323 to assist the Eviction Prevention Task Force with the Housing Helpline app on the Hancock Helps website. And Hancock Leadership was awarded a grant for their 2021 class project. Get more details on the grants on our website. Ohio State has paused all football-related activities and closed its athletic offices for one week following an increase in positive COVID tests. The decision was made jointly by Athletics Director Gene Smith and Head Team Physician Dr. Jim Borchers out of an abundance of caution. Ohio State officials announced last week that the number of new positive COVID-19 tests on campus had doubled from the previous week. The Buckeyes are scheduled to start spring practice on March 19th. Daniel Barnett... ONN News. Some Finley students are thanking healthcare workers for their hard work and dedication throughout the pandemic. Health profession students at Millstream Career Center made signs and then placed them out by the road. The big sign says, Millstream Career Center sending sunshine to our healthcare workers. You can see the signs in front of Millstream Career Center at 1150 Broad Avenue. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today is Discover What Your Name Means Day. Discover What Your Name Means. You remember years and years and years ago when you go to like the county fair or the state fair and there would be that booth that would spit out a computer printout of what your name meant and all of that. They had these really cheesy-looking, supposedly high-tech computers that would do this. And you get a little printout that you... Suitable for framing. A certificate suitable for framing with it. Tells you what your name is all about. Now, we, of course, have the internet. We can just look this up. Uh, my name means Christ-bearer. Christopher is an English 
version of a Greek name that means Christ bearer. I don't know that my parents named, gave me that name because that's what it meant. I think they just liked the sound of it. Do you, do you name your kids based on what the name meant? I mean, do you know? I, some people, too. I, I don't know a whole lot of people. I know some people do. Anyway, in addition to Discover What Your Name Means Day, it is also Festival of Life in the Cracks Day. The Festival of Life in the Cracks Day, which celebrates the first signs of spring weather, such as the sprouts of greenery that come up from the cracks in the sidewalk. So that's the idea. The Festival of Life in the Cracks Day. I like it. It is Histotechnology Professionals Day to raise awareness about the science centering on the microscopic detection of tissue abnormalities for disease diagnosis and treatment of diseases. Histotechnology Professionals Day. Blueberry Popover Day. <laughs> I love I love they have these grand events. The Festival of Life in the Cracks Day. The Histotechnology Professionals Day. Oh, and then it's Blueberry Popover Day. <laughs> there is that. It is Pack Your Lunch Day today. Maybe pack a blueberry popover. you got to be careful what you pack in your lunch today because it is Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Day. And it is also, this is maybe my favorite, the International Day of Awesomeness. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. The International Day of Awesomeness. Speaking of awesome, a bipartisan group of senators, this is big news, a bipartisan group of senators plans to introduce a bill in Washington to make daylight saving time permanent for most of the U.S. Uh, it is currently observed from March through November in most parts of the country. Uh, Hawaii does not observe daylight saving time, and neither does Arizona. Under the bill, Arizona would be put in the Pacific time zone permanently, and Hawaii would permanently be six hours behind the eastern time zone. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six. It would be permanently six in this, in this. But the bill would eliminate the need to change your clocks twice a year and would put us on what is now daylight saving time year-round. Five Republicans and three Democrats are co-sponsoring the bill. Um, I did not know this, but apparently 15 states have already passed bills to move to year-round daylight saving time, but those bills can't go into effect unless there is federal approval. So Ohio is one of those states. Again, I did not know this. Ohio, along with Georgia, Idaho, Louisiana, South Carolina, Utah, Wyoming, Arkansas, Delaware, Maine, Oregon, Tennessee, Washington, and Florida... And also in California, voters have approved a proposition authorizing this change, but legislative action is still pending in that state. So we'll follow this. And what do you think? Permanent daylight saving time. I like it myself because I hate that's one thing that I hate about winter is the fact that it gets dark at, you know, like 2.30 in the afternoon. So this would push an extra hour of daylight 
to the end of the day, but um, I kind of like it. We'll see what happens with this. It's been talked about for years and years and years, but it appears that maybe there is actually uh, something coming out. Although, it is a bipartisan bill. Not too many people, there are not too many things that people on both sides of the aisle can agree on in Washington. We'll see if this gets done. So follow that story. This was kind of interesting. I saw this on the uh, Newswire. Some scientific research. Um, you've heard the old saying, takes one to know one. That definitely applies when it comes to people who frequently exaggerate or distort details about themselves to try and impress or persuade others. University of Waterloo researchers found that people who frequently engage in persuasive exaggeration, shall we say, are actually quite bad at identifying it in others. And that surprised me because I would think those who lie about themselves or embellish things about themselves, you know, liars would be uh, pretty easy to spot by other liars. May, if for no other reason, the people who do engage in that kind of exaggeration would be cynical and would think that everybody else does as well. But apparently that's not the case. Specifically, these researchers found that individuals who embellish facts about themselves or lie about themselves to impress others had trouble distinguishing intentionally profound or scientifically accurate facts from impressive but meaningless fiction. Also, frequent BSers were found to be much more likely to fall for fake news headlines. Uh, the lead author of the study, Shane Luttrell, says, quote, We found that the more frequently someone engaged in persuasive BSing, the more likely they are to be duped by various types of misleading information, regardless of their cognitive ability, engagement in reflective thinking, or metacognitive skills. So, again, in other words, takes one to know one. Or maybe not. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it explains a lot, I think. <laughs> New study reconfirms that there is no difference between the brain of a male and a female human. Rosalind Franklin University researchers looked at 30 years of MRI scans and post-mortem brain tissue samples and found that once size was accounted for, there were few other differences in brain function and structure between male and female brains. Lise Elliott, researcher on the study, says that scientists have claimed for centuries that there are differences between the male and female brain but those theories are tainted by bias and small sample sizes. We looked at 30 years of data and uh, said it is really not, not appropriate to think of the brain as coming in male type and female type, just like we don't really think of the kidney or the lungs or the heart as coming in male or female type. The brain is no different. Kind of interesting. Um... The uh, pandemic has uh, changed everything, including things for raccoons. In Canada's largest city, the Toronto Public Health, over the past year, uh, Toronto Public Health Unit 
has recorded a 62% increase in raccoon attacks over the past year. Experts say the attacks are due to people acting foolishly, as well as people spending more time outside and closer to their homes. The city is warning people against feeding, petting, or even just approaching raccoons. Yes, I know, they can be pretty cute, but no, I don't, I'm not going to be petting a raccoon. That can be rather dangerous. They carry disease. I'm going to do that. That is weird, though. A 62, what was that? 62% increase in raccoon attacks, I said. And speaking of animal stories, among the first things you need to know, the most buzzworthy news stories to start your day, um, geese uh, have invaded Major League Baseball. <laughs> Did you happen to see this story? A uh, Canadian goose uh, decided to get comfortable in the outfield in the Cactus League game between the Cubs and the Diamondbacks in Scottsdale, Arizona on Sunday. Uh, geese don't know anything about baseball, so uh, there was nothing, it figured there was nothing to uh, stop this goose from wandering onto the field. Or not wandering onto the field, I guess the goose came in, swooped down, they do fly, uh, came in and swooped down, landed in center field, and then refused to budge. Because if you know anything about Canadian geese... You know, they can be very stubborn. And uh, this goose decided he was going to just plop right down there in center field. Thank you very much. And he wasn't going to budge. Uh, after taking some time to try and shoo the bird away, the game ultimately continued with the goose just hanging out on the field. <laughs> Must have been some, some kind of sight. Anyway... There you go, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. We'll jump right into our cover story this morning. As we mentioned, the state of Ohio has given county fairs not really the green light, but the yellow light to proceed with caution in 2021. Hancock County Fair Board President Jeff Cole is with us this morning. Obviously, very good news uh, from the uh, from the state. Uh, it, it was looking like uh, by the time the Hancock County Fair rolled along uh, or came came along in the calendar, that given uh, what we have seen to this point, uh, that we should be able to get a fair in. But still, it was good for the uh, uh, to hear the governor uh, actually say that. Uh, yeah, county fairs would be a go this year, but I know you're still waiting for further guidance, right? That's right, Chris, and thanks uh, thanks for uh, letting us have some time this morning to speak with you. One of these days, I'm going to make it into your luxury office. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to make it in there today, but but you're right. I think the, the uh, description of a yellow light, is a good one at this point. It was a couple of weeks ago that uh, most of us probably heard the governor say that uh, we were going to have fairs and festivals in 2021. Um, but we are still, as you mentioned, waiting for what those guidelines are going to look like exactly. And, uh, you know, we're very encouraged by that, obviously, and we're hopeful that uh, they will be something that we can work with. I, I think we're encouraged that we'll be able to work with them. We assume they'll be similar to what we saw in the early parts of, of last year, which was uh, social distancing, hand washing, mm -hmm. you know, all the things that were kind of part of our lives today. 
as well as reduction in um, you know the the capacities of, in buildings and grandstand events and things like that. So we'll we'll. We hope to see those guidelines any day. I checked the website this morning. It's still not out there. Um, but, uh, but regardless of that, um, we have begun our planning. Also, we're doing sort of almost double duty here. We're planning for a junior fair only event if it comes to that. So okay. if, it, if, well, if things stay similar to where they are today as far as what the guidelines are, or should this pandemic fire up again and you know restrictions yeah. become more more inhibited, then we will uh, we will go on go forward with a junior fair. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You know, obviously, uh, planning has to start well in advance of the fair itself. So, uh, as you wait for that specific guidance from the Ohio Department of Health and from the governor's <laughs> office, uh, obviously, you've got to make some uh, assumptions as to what that guidance will likely be when do you need to have those formal directives i mean is there a drop dead date where you say we have to know by such and such a time so we haven't set a drop dead date there's been uh, certainly some discussion about the need to do that not only in our own fair board but as we you know interact with the, our our neighbors and uh, other counties uh, in their what they're doing with their planning and so forth so we haven't established that you know, I would think, though, just uh, we would need to make that kind of a decision come June or July, right? But to your point, you know, we're at the point at this stage where, you know, in order to have acts and attractions that folks like to have at the fair, right. you know, these folks like want to hear from us today, right? They like us to sign contracts today if we could. And uh, so we're deferring those decisions at this point until we know a little more about what we may be able to do and, and what sort of terms and conditions we may need to have in those contracts. And I, would Im- and I would imagine one of the reasons why you're being uh, <laughs> even more cautious uh, is because things are very tight. Having not uh, been able to have a fair last year, that is all, uh, obviously uh, th- that plus the cancellation of other events uh, in which you know the fairgrounds, which you rent out the fairgrounds uh, to, to host – uh, that's kind of uh, put things in, in a bit of a financial crunch. Well, yeah, we certainly do have a financial crunch. Uh, our, our revenues have gone to almost zero since this time last year. Uh, really, winter storage has been our, our main uh, income to, you know, for the last 12 months now, uh, which, which, is, which is something that we have every year. But, yes, rental of the grounds and the facilities, uh, have gone to almost zero. There's been a few events that have gone off, but we have already had a few cancellations even going into this spring. But but the good news on the financial side is we do have money uh, set aside to activate our junior fair plan. So, you know, that's the real message that I want to make sure everybody hears today is that we are committed to, at a minimum, making sure that we have a showcase for our county's youth to come and exhibit their projects that they're that they, you know, work on, you know, during the spring and summer those out there in those uh, scout troops, in those FFA chapters, in those 4-H clubs, and even the school projects. You know, we're going to have a showcase for that. Uh, we will have those on exhibit. Uh, we will do the judging that uh, we normally do during the fair. A lot of those still projects are judged earlier in the year and, mm-hmm. and uh, are exhibited at the fair, but... But they will be on exhibit, and those that do get judged, the fair will get judged. We'll have our livestock shows, and we'll have a sale. And we, you know, our current plan is that that will be a multi-day event 
Um, so again, if it's a minimum of junior fair, we don't know for sure yet if it's going to be a three, four, or five day event. That's what we're working on. But we want to assure the community that we're going to we're going to pull that off. We want those uh, those um, exhibitors out there to feel comfortable about making investments into their projects, and uh, you know make sure that they have those because if they don't have one and we have a fair, they can't be there. But right? Yeah. That's you should a- go out and you should go out and buy that lamb. You should <laughs> go out and buy that hog, and you should be ready to go. You know, for the for the fair in twenty twenty one. That is a a good point. Now you talk uh, you're talking a lot about uh, the the worst case scenario, and this will uh, be what happens at a minimum. What is the best case scenario? I mean, what do you envision uh, as the best case scenario for twenty twenty one? A uh, like you said, there will probably be some changes. What do you envision? Well, you know, if we can pull off a traditional fair, we'll we'll, we'll do that, right? Um, the challenge with that is when you have, if if there are restrictions with capacities, then are we going to be able to afford to do all of the traditional events? So that's to be determined um, as to what that looks like. You know, we would suggest at this point that if Major League Baseball can have 30% capacity in their parks. You know, more than likely those guidelines may say the same thing about our grandstand shows. And so if we can only have 30% capacity in those, you know, can we still afford to do some of our uh, more expensive events, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll have to look at that closely. But, but I, you know, I hope that the conditions are such that, you know, our merchants will be interested in coming and, and putting on, uh, you know, their exhibits. Uh, that we'll be able to have a carnival with rides. Uh, all of your favorite food vendors will be there. Although, yeah. again, you know, have they all been able to uh, survive through the pandemic? So it can't can't uh, can't necessarily guarantee that each and every one will be there. But we would expect most of the food vendors to be there. And then we'll have uh, as many of those kind of grandstand events as we can have. Or maybe we'll have to have something that's a little bit different. But that's all to be determined. Um, there is- but I think. You know, the, the best case scenario, it will feel like a traditional fair. It may not look exactly like a carbon mm-hmm. copy of 2019. Right. But, you know, have all that same kind of uh, air about it. The the benefit that you have, I mean, uh, given that the Hancock County Fair is one of the later ones in the fair season, that actually works in your favor. worked against you last year uh, because by the time the Hancock County Fair rolled around, uh, everything had been shut down, but it may work in your favor this year. Well, we, we agree with you on that, Chris. We're hopeful in that sense. You know, I mean, we're certainly trending in the right direction, mm-hmm. and we and I think everybody is appreciative of what we're hearing, most of what's coming out of the governor's office and the Ohio Department of Health. And so we're very encouraged that, you know, by the time we get to Labor Day weekend, that we'll be able to put on a good old-fashioned, you know, Hancock County Fair. Now, uh, we were talking about the uh, fiscal challenges uh, that uh, the past year has presented. And uh, as such, I want to give you a chance to uh, comment on this. Uh, We heard earlier in the week that uh, Dave Thomas has voluntarily stepped down as uh, operations and facility manager. Uh, everybody familiar with Dave is a, a, a longtime presence uh, at the fair and will still be there, but that is a major change uh, in leadership. How does that impact planning for the fair in 2021? Well, you're right. And of course, we've already made uh, much more of a big deal out of this than Dave wanted us to. So Dave, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to make sure that uh, I have, give you my thanks for your service and your continued service, because to your point, Chris, he's uh, 
he's not really going anywhere. You know, he's a man of the community and he's, uh, he's a man that grew up on the fair grounds just like I did. And, uh, he's, his heart's there and, and he will still be around to help us out a lot. Um, Dave elected to, to, to make that move, uh, in, in response to our financial crunch. Uh, along with some of the other changes that we're making that we won't talk about tonight, you know, just operationally and, and as we look to cut our expenses and so forth on a on a monthly basis. But um, but but yeah, so it it, it will be different. Um, uh, we certainly have uh, a strong office manager in Nicole Hoffman who will pick up some of that slack, and then um, myself and the rest of the board will be you know filling in the gaps where we need to uh, in order to make sure that uh, everything goes off as it should. Um, Regarding the, the the financial uh, case, though, you know, I mean, again, like I said, we have monies that are set aside to activate this junior fare plan, and I, you know, I want everybody to be just as confident as I am and the rest of the board is that we are going to have an event this year, and and uh, you can count on it. We will leave it there for now, but look forward to much more information forthcoming. Hancock County Fair Board President Jeff Cole with us this morning. Jeff, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Chris. Have a good one. Well, by now, I think everybody has uh, heard about the story. Another fraternity initiation has turned tragic, this time at Bowling Green State University. This past weekend, we are joined this morning by Rex Elliott. He is a partner in the Columbus law firm of Cooper Elliott, who is representing the family of sophomore Stonefolds in this case. Uh, Mr. Elliott, first of all, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Good morning, Chris. Uh, obviously, because the investigation is ongoing and ahead of likely legal action uh, in this case, you are limited as to how much you can comment specifically uh, about this incident. But you are no stranger to cases of this type. Your firm also represented the family in that similar case in 2018 at Ohio University, which led to the introduction of a bill dubbed Collins Law in the state legislature that was ultimately not acted on. What will it take to finally end the problem of hazing on college campuses? I have to tell you, Chris, every time something like this happens, it takes me back to our last case and the case before that and the case before that. I believe strongly that we are focusing on the wrong targets, and that is the young men, the 18 to 22-year-olds that are involved in these incidents. Uh, they don't have the judgment. They don't have the supervision. What we need to be looking at, uh, we certainly need to criminalize hazing, uh, and the efforts in Collins Law uh, go a long way towards doing that. We need to make uh, consequences extraordinarily severe uh, for these kids. Look, you know, in the, in the Colin Wine case, um, some of these actives in the Sigma Pi chapter uh, walked off to jail. They spent time in jail, and notwithstanding that, the message still isn't clear enough. I think we need to be looking from the head down. We need to be looking at the international fraternities, number one. They need to be more accountable, more responsible for what is going on in their uh, local chapters. They are simply looking in the other direction. And number two, we need to hold universities accountable for what is happening on their campuses. Um, I, I believe very strongly that uh, the time has come for drastic uh, Greek-like ref Greek life reform, if not um, abolishment. And the reality is universities are reluctant to do that because so many of their alumni are Greek and they get tremendous amounts of money.
from those people. What they need to do is understand that we cannot lose one more innocent young life to a hazing incident on a college campus. And until we start from the top and target the top, the people that are responsible for supervising these kids, unfortunately, I think this is going to continue to happen on college campuses across the country. You know, let me tell you a statistic that is shocking to me. In this country, the United States of America, since 1959, there has been at least one hazing death on a college campus in this country every single year. And that is just way too much. I can't believe we're sitting here in 2021 and still losing lives to hazing. It does seem as though uh, every year we talk about this in some form or another, there is uh, an, another case, this just being the uh, local one. And you talk about colleges not doing enough to, uh, at a minimum, discourage uh, this uh, type of activity. But schools will also say a lot of this is happening off campus, and it becomes a very dicey area for uh, schools to try and regulate things that happen outside of their physical footprint, doesn't it? Well, uh, I, I actually I don't accept that. The reality is these organizations are the entire empowerment for these organizations comes from the inter- international fraternities. They are the ones that uh, enable 100, 150, 18 to 22 year old boys to congregate together and to learn these rituals and to perform these rituals. And the universities allow this to happen on their college campuses. If it weren't for the empowerment of these organizations and these, uh, frankly, prehistoric rituals that have no place in our society in 2021, this kind of stuff would not be happening. And the reality is, I believe that both the international fraternities and the universities, for monetary reasons, are looking the other way. And that is the problem here. Until we get more supervision, of these 18 to 20, look, you put 100, 150, 18 to 22-year-old boys together without adult supervision, it's a recipe for disaster. It is a point well taken, and certainly we have seen, even in addition to these types of tragedies, uh, some really uh, abhorrent and bad behavior uh, coming from uh, college fraternities, and that is uh, is not new. That is, uh, you know, the, the boorish behavior and, and so on is certainly not new. Uh, to be fair, Bowling Green uh, State University has suspended all Greek activities uh, at, uh, at the school, uh, pending uh, further information and and uh, you know looking further into how to prevent uh, all of this. In fact, uh, you you talk about the uh, national chapters. Uh, it was reported that uh, the uh, letters were coming off the uh, Pike House at BGSU, uh, which was the uh, the house involved in this particular incident. It, it appears that there uh, may be some movement there from the uh, from the national organization. But you talk about the uh, possibility that maybe it is time for uh, Greek life to just go away. Is it a relic of uh, of the past that that really is irrelevant now, causing more harm than good? Well, well, certainly. Let me get to your your original point. The reality is, it took the the loss of a lo- a young life to to start taking Greek letters off buildings. The reality is, it's been reported in the press. The uh, you know we've heard a lot of things about a lot of these fraternities down in, at Ohio University. Sigma Pi was well known uh, for their abhorrent behavior and hazing activities. They were suspended in 2014. They were. Uh, 
repeatedly reprimand. Nothing, nothing was done, and it took the loss of a life to suspend that fraternity. I do believe that the time has come in 2021, and I was a fraternity member in my college. I think the time has come to um, uh, to drastically reform Greek life on campuses, and I think that means if I were the president of a university, uh, I would not wait until a 20-year-old kid had died in a hazing incident. What I would do is I would suspend every single fraternity right now, and I would uh, make it crystal clear, until you can show us that you can responsibly return Look, you know, there are many sororities out there that are involved in hazing as well, but lots of sororities uh, engage in great community um, support and philanthropic activities and so on and so forth. If I were the president of the university, I would shut down Greek life right now, and I would tell every single fraternity, you are not allowed back on our campus until you can demonstrate that you will. I, this isn't about This isn't about demonstrating that we won't. Uh, you know, uh, kill another kid. This is about demonstrating that we can be responsible. We can be a positive influence on this college campus. Otherwise, there, there's no place for fraternities anymore in 2021 in this country. Chris, we didn't, you know, we've been through this horrible pandemic. We didn't wait until kids started dying of COVID on college campuses to, to start a fair to start point. In, engaging in measures to protect those kids a, a why fair are point. we waiting for yeah. kids to die to uh put put in reform a, no a fair point and uh again uh, countering the argument of things happening off campus uh there will be those who will point out that uh, colleges uh did clamp down on off-campus activities uh with respect to the uh, coronavirus uh so uh there is that as well there will be the argument uh, by some that uh, not all uh, forms of quote-unquote hazing are created equal. Uh, there are uh, the uh, uh, rituals and traditions that are uh, perhaps embarrassing but to a, uh, to a pledge, but not uh, physically dangerous. Um, is, is a zero-tolerance policy, does that risk driving all of this underground and, and make the problem even worse? Well, uh, first of all, the the uh, the you know um, push-ups and running and backpacks and and doing cleaning and things of that nature. You're right; those are less forms of hazing, but it is it is a slippery slope. It is those forms of hazing that lead to what we're seeing on these college campuses with the more dangerous activities. You know, getting pledges drunk and having them swim across a river. Um, uh, standing yeah. on glass. I mean, it's the it's a slippery slope. It gets it gets progressively worse. I uh, I, I think there is a, there absolutely needs to be a zero tolerance policy. Now, driving the activities underground, may, maybe that'll occur uh, for a short period of time. But I, I I firmly believe without organization, without the empowerment from international fraternities and the universities, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for these kids to, to, uh, to find an outlet and to organize and congregate. They, they will find their way into other activities in college campuses that are far more productive 
than what is going on right now. And to be fair, uh, this not only involves uh, the Greek system. I think a few years ago there was a uh, uh, story out of Florida State, if memory serves, uh, about a a band member that uh, uh, collapsed and died after a a hazing incident. So this doesn't just happen within the uh, Greek system, which brings up the, the point how can you yes we can uh, we can look at Collins law and again state legislators are, are now saying that uh, they're going to take a, another look at that and and maybe we see some action uh, on that legislation but how do you uh, affect all of this change can it be strictly done through legislation such as Collins law well Collins law certainly helps and Collins law uh, prohibits hazing by the way um, not just related to um, Greek life, and you're 100% right. There's there's no place for hazing anywhere. Not in a band. Not on a sports team. Not on a not on a college campus in Greek life. Nowhere is hazing uh, appropriate. I think that I, I truly believe that Collins Law will go a long way toward because it it it, it makes um, severe consequences, felonies for uh, certain hazing activities. It it asks it calls for transparency for instance, um, so that parents of kids going off to colleges can see how many incidents of hazing a certain fraternity or sorority or organization has had so, so that when their kid comes home and says, hey, you know what, I'm going to pledge the Pike uh, fraternity or the Sigma Pi fraternity, the parent can get online and see what kind of behavior that fraternity or sorority or organization is engaged in. And I think that's a really important first step. But I'm going to go back to my original point. The legislation is not enough. We need to hold accountable the organizations, the international fraternities and the universities that are enabling these groups to behave the way they are on college campuses. If, if we do all that, we will go a long way towards making sure we don't lose another young life to a, a senseless, absurd, unnecessary tragedy like this. We will leave it there, but we will continue to follow the Stone Foltz case from BGSU as that proceeds its way, no doubt, through the courts moving forward. Rex Elliott, again, a partner in the Columbus law firm of Cooper Elliott with us, representing the family in that BGSU case from over the weekend. Mr. Elliott, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And now to our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. You know, we have uh, spent a lot of time this week talking about the anniversary of the pandemic. It was a year ago that the first lockdowns and shutdowns uh, were put into place because of this uh, growing concern over COVID-19, the uh, coronavirus and the and the spread. And many churches, uh, of course, were... Uh, well, not forced. The governor's uh, order to, to close things down... Uh, actually did include an exception for places of worship. But most churches did, for a time, close their doors uh, to uh, in-person uh, for in-person worship uh, services and uh, went online. Many churches continue to uh, hold uh, worship services online. And one of the th- that was one of the biggest things that many people missed. Uh, after several months of shutdown, was not being able to go to church. And by extension, uh, not being able to uh, gather with uh, uh, their their friends and their uh, fellow parishioners for Bible study groups and, and so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, our culture continues to be, even a year later, shaped by the lingering pandemic. 
And just as physical health continues to be of major concern, now there is help available for the spiritual health of Americans in the form of a free new app which creates the world's largest virtual Bible study group at a time when we need to hear the message more than ever. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. Building on decades of experience from Bible Study Fellowship, WordGo has been developed to help people grow deeper in their faith. Simon Lennox is director of WordGo. When I joined the team, they asked me to head up the innovation arm to take what they've done for 60 years and bring some digital innovation to it and in simplest terms turn it into an app so that more people across the world in churches or individuals could study the bible and and make use of the excellent resources wordgo is a free app offering ready-made bible studies for those seeking encouragement during these difficult times at a heart level that the pandemic has brought Uh, a real challenge to refocus and return to the essence of Christianity, which is Jesus Christ, his word, and God's strategy of the church. And I think in some areas that has caused the church to shrink as people vote with their feet when they're removed from distractions and practices. They have to come to terms with, do they actually believe this or not? Simon Lennox tells us how others are coping during these difficult times. People are isolated and away from a community to encourage them and help them understand scripture and therefore understand more of who God is. So the the, the close relationship between scripture engagement and community is fascinating and how most of us need that to stay in scripture daily. The pandemic has also been very revealing. Many people across America all facing the same thing and being isolated from their friends, from their family, has exposed many things, new questions about life and why they're here and where they're going, but also what they're placing their their hope in, their their trust in. And and even at the simplest level, what what are we grateful for? What what truly matters in terms of family, uh, friends, etc.? Simon Lennox believes the WordGo app is perfect for a time such as this. WordGo is a free app by Bible Study Fellowship based on their decades of experience to help people engage deeper in Scripture, uh, not just individually, but in groups, gathering your friends, gathering family members, and especially if your friends are another the other side of the country or in other states. To be able to have meaningful, deep conversations about Scripture together. Imagine sharing your thoughts on the Scriptures around your neighborhood or around the world. WordGo not only enables you to do that using various online platforms, but provided a, a, a guided study experience for your individual study. But then when you gather as a group, gives you everything you need to just start it, get going work through various questions, receive teaching, get notes. What do we do after we download the app? The first thing they do is read the text and reread the text and read it again. And then what the app provides are a few questions for you to dig even deeper and discover more of what God's saying through that passage. After that initial first step, then what comes next with Wergo? 
The next step is to gather with your friends and share what you learned from the Lord that week. And you also receive audio teaching through the app on the same passage. And finally, you get notes on the very same passage again. So it's really as deep as you want, as far as you want to go, but giving you all the different ways of learning and studying and receiving teaching so you can go deeper into the text. And the app simply guides you through that with a user-friendly experience. Simon Lennox is thrilled to be used by God for the purpose of telling us about the Word Go app. It's a privilege to be able to combine the best of innovation and technology and design with 60 years of Bible study content and experience of BSF and develop something with an amazing team from different parts of the world to enable people to encounter God through his word. Here's how to get the free Word Go app. Open up your phone, go to your browser and search Word Go and you will discover the website and simply download it. And again, it's free. It'll be on your phone. Get started and away you go. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update... The odd and unusual side of the news. Uh, today's broken news report brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We begin uh, the international file. A, a man in Birmingham, uh, England, the UK, was caught on, uh, charged with uh, car theft, auto theft, on Sunday after he showed up uh, at a garage with a $200,000 McLaren to get a new set of locks put onto it (laughs) he pulls into the garage in this mclaren supercar and says hey i need to get a new set of locks (laughs) put on this car the mechanics were suspicious so they called police turns out the car had been uh, stolen from the apartment garage of a man who was out of the country Uh, the building concierge noticed it had disappeared and alerted police so they were on the lookout Investigators are able to locate the uh, car and track it back to the 31-year-old crook's address where he was arrested and charged with fraud by false representation and theft of a motor vehicle. (laughs) No, that wouldn't raise any red flags at all. (laughs) Come in with a McLaren and say, I need to get the locks changed on this. (laughs) And give you an idea that something might be up. Uh, Back on this side of the pond... A Pennsylvania woman under arrest uh, after workers at a local McDonald's suspected something was off when Skylar Perrin, age 29, made several trips through their drive through each time forgetting that she had been there before. <laughs> she came through several times, uh, each time forgetting that she had already gone through the drive through uh, Police uh, reportedly noticed signs of intoxication, and when asked, Ms. Perrin said she was prescribed methadone and she had taken it that morning she was charged with one felony count um of endangering the welfare of children it it turned out that she uh had uh, a couple of kids in the back seat of her car while all this was going on oh my after failing a field sobriety test she was taken into custody where blood tests revealed that she did in fact have methadone in her system uh she is currently waiting a preliminary hearing Mother of the year, right there. <laughs> On the upside, the kids 
got all of the Happy Meal toys. They got all of them. Did you get going through and through the drive-thru? Yeah. Uh, always strange things happening in Florida, and we have a, a collection of uh, stories from the Sunshine State. Um, Michael Phillips is facing a charge of carrying a concealed handgun after being pulled over by police officers. Uh, see, he was actually the passenger in a vehicle when it was uh, pulled over on a traffic violation. Uh, police patted down Mr. Phillips, which is when he told them that the, uh, <clears throat> that the, uh, noticeable bulge in his pants was just, uh, <laughs> was just natural. Let's say, let's put it that way. He, he tried to pass that off as just being natural. However, uh, the officers pulled out a Glock handgun. He was arrested. The driver also taken in on a charge of grand theft auto. They'd been in a stolen car. <laughs> Is that a gun in your pants or are you just happy to see me? He tried... <laughs> He tried for the former, or for the latter. It turned out it was the former. Um, a judge in Florida has uh, ordered a psychological evaluation for a man accused of uh, assaulting two stuffed dolls uh, at a local Target store. <clears throat> Apparently, Cody Meter uh, is charged with uh, getting busy with it with a stuffed unicorn and an Olaf from Frozen. <laughs> With a stuffed unicorn, and then with Olaf from Frozen. So he's having a uh, threesome there. Um, he was, uh, the judge wants the evaluation to deter determine uh, Mr. Meter's competency to stand trial on counts of criminal mischief and indecent exposure. <laughs> Apparently he has a history of this kind of behavior. So, yeah. And uh, finally, in the broken news, this from Stewart, Florida, where things recently got a bit out of hand at the Sensations Cabaret, an adult entertainment facility. A 33-year-old woman told police her four female co-workers were upset because she was making more money than they were. So an argument ensued in which uh, she threw a bucket at her co-workers she was arrested on a charge of battery, telling police, you know I'm only getting arrested for showing my nether regions on stage. <laughs> I don't know if they settled the argument, but she is now in custody. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's <laughs> broken news. Uh, this report on the uh, odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at findlayrotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Most presidents do get a honeymoon period, and Joe Biden is no exception. First numbers from the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research Survey show 60% of Americans 
say they approve of President Biden's job performance thus far, 60% overall. Numbers are even a little bit higher when asked specifically about his handling of the coronavirus response, a 70% approval rating uh, in that category specifically, including 44% of Republicans. And I have to say uh, that probably is simply because the response uh, in the Biden administration seems much more, I want to say, organized, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, under President Trump, uh, if I mean, the response might have been might have been fine, but the appearance uh, was was very disjointed. Um, but nonetheless, 70 percent approval rating for coronavirus response, 44 percent of Republicans. Biden has made the pandemic the central focus of his presidency so far, obviously. When it comes to the economy, the numbers dip a bit. 55% approve of Biden's approach. Uh, Just 17% of Republicans feel that way. Uh, That is certainly more typical of how politically polarized the country has come to be. About 60% also said that they approve of the president's handling of health care in general and race relations, which has only come up in limited uh, points thus far. Now, obviously, those are the the first numbers, uh, which, again, there's always that honeymoon period for a new president. Plus, um, he hasn't really faced any crises so far. Uh, The pandemic, uh, obviously, which he walked into uh, knowing that that was going to be an issue. But uh, beyond that, there really haven't been any crises so far. It'll be interesting to see how those numbers change over time, even on the coronavirus pandemic, uh, especially depending on how long it takes for things to start getting back to normal now. I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, this is another one of those events that I always look forward to because it is a sure sign that spring is right around the corner. Talking, of course, about the Children's Mentoring Connection Bowling for Kids fundraiser. Stacy Shaw is with us uh, from uh, Children's Mentoring Connection. And I know uh, not only is this a uh, fun event that folks look forward to every year, this is a very important event for your agency. Yes, Chris. Good morning. Um, so you're right. Uh, usually bowling means spring is right around the corner. Yep. Um, this year we're back a little bit further, so we won't be until April 17th through the 30th. Okay. But this really is our signature fundraiser, and it really helps us to be able to provide the services to our families and to the kids that we need to be doing. Now, obviously, given the realities uh, this year, had to kind of reimagine, as so many things have been, you had to reimagine this uh, a little bit, and it kind of turning this into uh, something bigger and better than ever. Tell us uh, how it's going to come off this year. Right, absolutely. So we sat down and we decided that we needed to come up with an idea, be creative, and for us, let's have fun in 2021. So how are we going to do that? I like and, that slogan, by yeah, the way. I think, so, that should be all, I think that should be our motto. We should have that uh, emblazoned on uh, every... Uh, we should have shirts with that. We should so have shirts have, with that. Maybe we'll, let's have fun maybe in we'll put that in the, in the bowling t-shirt somehow. Go. Good That's idea. perfect. Synergy. We got it figured <laughs> out. Um, but at any rate, what we're planning this year is you can bowl. This is our 38th year. So you can bowl at Sportsman's Lanes if okay. you prefer to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have limited space this year, obviously, because of everything that's going on. So if you want to do that, make sure you get your reservation in early. But you can also check out 
bowling pins from our office that you can take back to your office, to your home. Um, they're weighted, so it's not as heavy as a regular bowling pin, but they are a lot of fun, so you can take the fun to you. Okay. Um, or you can do disc golf or frisbee golf out at the park, so we have some sets that you can okay. check out to do there that. Or you can also do cornhole, so you can. Ah. we'll have some sets, you can do that, or you can do your own games. If you already have a cornhole set, uh, you can feel free to do that as well. Just sign up your team. There you go. Some uh, really uh, unique ideas to kind of... Uh, uh, branch this out into more than just bowling. Right, not absolutely. everybody's into bowling, so that'd be a great, uh, a great thing. Now, the bowling itself is actually going to be two weekends this year, right? Yeah. So the whole entire event, you can participate over a two-week period of time. Okay. So uh, you can do it on the weekend or during the week. Um, so it's April seventeenth to April thirtieth. So you have a lot more time uh, to be able to to get together and do things. So when. Obviously, this uh, is, as we said, a very important fundraiser, one of the, if not the main uh, funding vehicle that you have. What do you do with the uh, with the funds uh, from this event? Yes, it is key uh, for us. Last year this time, we all know what was happening. Right. Um, and for us, we were blessed that we were able to get our event in right before things happen. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful to us. We don't charge our families, our kids, the school districts that we work with, anything. So we are a United Way partner agency, but most importantly, to be able to provide what we do, our signature fundraisers um, are key to that, and Bowling for Kids is, is the number one to do that. So there is always a need for uh, individuals to get involved. You have a, a great need for mentors uh, right now. How challenging has that been over the course of the past year to connect mentors with these kids given all of the restrictions? Sure. Well, first and foremost, we have incredible volunteers. So they are the ones that were able to make mentoring continue through 2020. We had to change things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. For all of our programs, there was a pause to be able to meet face-to-face -face, as most things happen. Um, and then we continued on with our school-based program, but we turned that into a virtual program. And we've been doing that for this school year as well. I was going to ask if that uh, if you're continuing the school-based program into this year. Yes, absolutely we are. Um, and so we encourage people to do that. We know that it's difficult for kids and families to join on to one more Zoom thing. But um, it, it really has been incredible to be able to see the kids. It's a time to unwind, to reconnect, and to be able to participate in that. Talk a little bit about that school-based program. That is uh, still relatively new. Uh, I mean, it's been going on for several years, obviously, but it's not the traditional one-to-one -one pairing that people are familiar with. So how does that work, and what is the commitment there? Yeah, so our school-based program works that you um, commit a once an hour, a one, one time a week for an hour, mm -hmm. and uh, you get together with kids from our different school groups. So we've kind of had an ebb and flow with that, along with the schools, how things have gone this year. Um, but traditionally, it'll be after-school program, and we work with kids from second graders up to eighth graders. So we work with seven schools to be able to provide that. And right now, then you just log on. We do utilize breakout rooms, so you're able to break out into a room with a person or or a couple of kids that you're matched with and to mm -hmm. do different activities. We'll drop activity kits off to the mentor and the mentee so they can be doing those at the same time. And this summer we are working with the schools as they work with their extended learning to hopefully be able to do some mentoring with them during the summer face-to-face, -face, so a little bit different format. Yeah, this this is not homework help. No, not absolutely. Although, I mean, you know, issues, uh, school issues may come up in some of those discussions, certainly, uh, but this is, not, it's not that. 
No, and it is what we do see happen, though, is kids who find somebody who is believing in them and supporting in them Mm -hmm. have a little bit more motivation to get the schoolwork done. Mm -hmm. So we're not sitting and doing homework with them, per se, but we are having conversations. How are things going at home? How are things going at school? And supporting them through that while we're having fun doing games, etc. To that end, uh, the kids involved in the Children's Mentoring Connection program are, uh, by and large, what we would normally call at-risk uh, youth. And uh, there is something missing in their home life that that you do step up to sort of fill that void. And obviously, uh, helping to steer kids on the right path moving forward. Right. And for like our school-based program, the kids there are identified by school counselors or by administrators. And that can be just support for those kids for anything um, for maybe a child that's really shy and just needs some help coming, you know, coming out of their own. Maybe it is a child that's having some behavioral issues at school, mainly because they don't have somebody sitting down and taking that extra time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and socialization, working on those type of things. So those are things that the school's identifying. Yeah, and, and that's not to uh, to criticize the families of, no, of, the, of the kids that are involved. I mean, there are all sorts of uh, situations. Maybe it's a single-parent household, uh, mom or dad, whatever the single parent is, uh, has to work two or three jobs to even just doesn't have the time uh, to, to spend with the kids, and it's just a reality of the situation. Here's an opportunity to kind of step in, like we said, fill some of that void. Right, absolutely, and especially with the kids in our community-based program. So mm-hmm. those kids are... Kids who are living living with single parents. We have a lot of kids living with grandparents. Right. Um, I just talked with a caregiver yesterday who is doing kinship and taking care of a couple of nieces that she has now living mm. with her. So, you know, as she said, I've been the aunt, but now my role has changed and I have to be the parent. But I still want that child to have that fun person to hang right. out with. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to her for understanding that there's a different role and different relationship right. that she's now in. Exactly. But still wanting that child to have that fun support. So uh, if folks want to volunteer for the uh, school-based program or the traditional program, you still need mentors uh, for kids in that program as well. What is the process? Right. We would love to talk with you. Um, simply give us a call at our office, 419 424 9752 or you can check out our website cmchancock.org we'll walk you through the steps you always have a case manager supporting you in any one of our programs good point so you're you're not, you're not throwing, alone throwing you to the wolves there right. and say uh, you're on your own there's always a uh, support system uh, there and what you're asking for uh, at its most basic a, a year's commitment right uh yes that's what we would like to see especially like the school yeah. year for that entire school year mm-hmm. Um, if you are making a commitment to the child in our community program, a year, because we don't want kids coming in and out of their in lives. Out, they right. have that. We yeah. want them to be able to get some consistency and build that relationship. Exactly. And, and a trust. lot of times uh, you find that uh, the mentors and the kids make the kind of connection where uh, it becomes a lifelong connection, even after they age out of the program. So Absolutely. something that uh, not just the kids uh, get something from this, but the mentors uh, as well. And again, the uh, Bowling for Kids fundraiser is coming up the latter part of April. Yes, right? April 17th okay. to April 30th. And how do people uh, sign up uh, for either the bowling or any of the other events yes you can do um go to our website cmchancock.org for the bowling you can just do the slash events it'll take you right there with a link to register your team 
All right, we've got it linked up on our webpage as well. Again, Stacy Shaw of the Children's Mentoring Connection with us. Stacy, thanks very much. All right, thank you. And that is our podcast for today. Again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can check our webpage, goodmornings.net, for more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program. Coming up tomorrow, the pandemic response one year later. State Representative John Cross will join us to reflect on lessons that we learned, mistakes that were made, and the law of unintended consequences. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.